that Italian guy over there, the one with the polyester pinstripe suit, the one with the gray hair and mustache. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Professor Jamerson's podcast. This is season one, episode one for introductory sociology, uh, analyzing the movie Zootopia. I hope everyone's doing well. I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable with this podcast format. I uh, still get like the butterflies when I make these things, uh, but hopefully that's going to uh, start to decrease a little bit as I make more of them. So I want to kind of start from now moving forward for the rest of the semester. I'm going to do just kind of an update on the COVID pandemic and the spread of the disease. Uh, so last week for the podcast, I mentioned the U.S. was at, and this is March 25th, was at 55,000 cases and 800 deaths. Today, the U.S. is at 160,000 cases and over 3,000 deaths associated with this disease. That is more, as some people have noted, than the number of fatalities associated with the September 11th terrorist attacks. And it's not a great comparison but uh, it is a milestone to be noted for sure. So the first thing I want to do is have a moment of silence for all the lives we've lost so far, and I will continue to do this right now. Thank you. And I also want to take this opportunity, and I will continue to do this, to thank all the medical workers and logistical people uh, working on the front lines trying to stop the spread of this disease through our society. So thank you very much for all of the hard work you're doing. Uh, I hate to shift gears like this. We do need to start not talking about this in our work and I want to kind of ease us into our work for the rest of the semester. So we're going to pick up where we left off here with the film Zootopia. Uh, I normally like to show this and I was really looking forward to showing this film in that big room of ours. It would have had like a movie theater type vibe and that would have been a lot of fun. Hopefully you've had a chance to watch it. Even if you'd already seen the movie before this class, I still want you to watch it again um, specifically for this class and for the quiz that you're going to have about this film. Uh, my analysis here is going to center really on two parts. First, I'm just going to kind of go through the film with sort of an analytic summary, and I'm going to weave in different sociological themes and concepts throughout the movie that can help us understand it, um, maybe help us understand class material through considering how the film deals with these concepts like race and gender and class, for example, you know, just these are basic concepts, but the film really plays with them in some interesting ways. And then secondly, I'm going to talk, I'm going to really review the film in terms of the theories that we've discussed in the course. And your quiz will be based almost exclusively on this podcast. Uh, I will recommend that you read the chapter in your textbook about crime and deviance. Um, this would help us understand sort of the mechanisms of the main plot in the film. If this is not going to be required reading, I will not ask you specific questions about that textbook chapter on your Zootopia quiz. Zootopia came out in 2016, and according to its IMDb, 
IMDb summary tells the uh, the story of an unlikely friendship and partnership between a rookie money cop and a sly fox car artist. The film starts with sort of a play within a movie, a very Shakespearean move to add context, to provide us with context for the world of the film we are about to watch. And in it, we have this sort of history of this animal society where long, a long time ago, predator and prey animals lived apart from each other because of the predator's savage ways. But somehow, and we don't really have a very clear idea about how exactly this worked out, but somehow predator and prey animals learn to get past their differences and get past their biological urges to come together and create this model society. And this is sort of the play, the, the, the story of the play that young Judy Hopps, our main character and heroine in the film is telling for us. One of my favorite parts about this scene is the tiger the young tiger cub who is like, I can now be an actuary. Um, very unglamorous job. And a tiger is supposedly a very glamorous sort of animal. Um, and from there, we move on to this very um, illuminating childhood incident uh, where Judy Hopps tries to stand up to Gideon Gray, a fox who is also a bully. And Gideon Gray is like, you will never be more than just a dumb bunny. And I am stronger than you. I'm more powerful than you. And he uses that. He is violent, right? He, he cuts her in the face when she's trying to stand up for this kid. And so right away we have this scene set, even though we have this animal world where differences are thought to have been uh, transcended in many ways, uh, these differences and these, these sources of friction between prey and predator animals are still there. We move forward in time there to Judy Hopps fulfilling or moving toward her dream of becoming a bunny police officer. We have the very hilarious um, montage, the police academy, the training montage where her polar bear uh, drill sergeant is calling her all kinds of names. Um, when we think about the police academy, where we can think about this notion of socialization and professional socialization, learning to occupy a new role in society. One of the reasons to give us a, another hint about the inequality underlying the seemingly perfect animal society, this Zootopia, um, is this notion of affirmative action. Judy Hopps is included in the police academy because of what they call in the film, the Mammal Inclusion and Diversity Initiative. And this is one of the reasons why she's in there is uh, it's dominated by larger animals, mostly by predator animals. And they're trying to even out um, those discrepancies. I also want to point out another big source of cultural friction in the film. And this is true in the United States and in many other countries right now is this division between rural and urban life. And this um, plays a role throughout Judy's character development as well. She finishes the police training. She finishes first in her class. She does awesome. And we have that tear-jerking scene at the train station where she's she gives her parents a big hug. And then that song by Shakira plays as the train goes in and shows this awesome city, Zootopia, with all its different biomes. And she moves into the center of the city. 
she gets that tiny apartment at the Pangolin Arms, and I thought that's funny. Uh, the, uh, the the species that are included in the movie and not included is an interesting um, discussion point. For example, if you want to talk about this in your discussion for this week, she moves into her apartment there. She has those noisy antelope neighbors, the two guys who are always fighting but also seem to be in love. Um, she's getting ready for her first day on the job, and here we see her in her backstage, right, getting her uniform on, deciding whether or not to bring the fox repellent, which she ultimately decides to do. The first officer she meets at the uh, station is Clawhauser, who calls her cute. And this is an interesting moment in the film. And she's like, no, 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 wait. You know, you can't really, other bunnies can call bunnies cute, but, but other species can't call bunnies cute. Once again, I was watching this with my wife and she was like, is it kind of like the N-word? I was like, yeah, I think that this is kind of like the N-word. So once again, we have this, this, these, these, these racial, these, this racialization occurring in the world of the film as well. So how are social categories delineated in this film? Well, I think one of the biggest ones, of course, is this distinction between prey and predator. And for me, this really maps onto most closely the idea of our idea of race in, in modern society. But we also have other differences. There are differences, for example, between different species of predators, for example, foxes versus jaguars or bunnies versus weasels or hippopotamuses, for example, on the prey side. And I think we can map this more into this notion of ethnicity. And so here we are thinking about the difference between race and ethnicity. Race is much more dealing with physical characteristics and physical features and appearances. Ethnicity is going to be more along a cultural axis where we're talking about languages and behaviors and foods eaten and that sort of thing. Once again, these don't completely map onto each other thinking about how race and ethnicity work in the human world versus how uh, predator, prey, and species distinctions work in the world of Zootopia, but there are some significant similarities there. And once again, speaking of this notion of similarities, I think a big part of the overall humor in the film is is revolves around this notion of what is familiar in this world and what is strange about it. And so there's lots of things that are familiar about this film. The animals are using smartphones, they're driving around in cars, they're riding trains, they're speaking English, they're listening to music, they dance, they have these silly apps on their phones, right? There's a lot of things that are familiar to us, but what's strange about it is it's all cute little animals who are doing all of these behaviors. And so what, how would animals design a society? I think this is a big part of the creativity and imaginativity and, and therefore the humor of the, the film, but underneath it lies a pretty potent critique and analysis of American society. Judy Hopps, one of the reasons she is so naive is because she believes in the quote-unquote dream of Zootopia, or as we would think of it, the American dream. Nick Wilde does a lot to bust that myth. You can't be anything you want to be. Of course, the weasel chase lands her in Bogo's office where Mrs. Otterton is in there trying to get 
to the bottom of this missing mammal case. And she takes the case. She gets the ultimatum from Chief Bogo and has 48 hours to solve the case. She enlists Nick to help her because she figures out how to hustle. And so she is adjusting to this world of urban life very quickly. Their first order of business is going to a naturalist colony. And in the world of Zootopia, nakedness or animals not wearing clothes is a very deviant behavior. And once again, right, juxtaposing uh, norms of the human world onto animals becomes part of the humor of the film. Did notice that there are no genitals shown, especially when that elephant is doing like a big V. There's just nothing there. It's kind of creepy. But it's also Disney, so I understand. They move from there to the DMV. And once again, we're making fun of this notion of bureaucracy. This scene, the scene at the DMV is perhaps the funniest in the movie. Why? Because of the comic timing. It's a social performance not going well. Of course, right? That is the joke, of course. The DMV is known for being slow and inefficient. So, of course, in the world of Utopia, it would be staffed by sloths. Once again, essentializing different species into patterns of behavior. Um, Zootopia seems like it's a place where you can be anything you want to be, but yet we see these patterns of species and behaviors mapped onto occupations and identity. They move from the DMV uh, following the trail of evidence that they're collecting. They move from the DMV to Tundra Town to investigate a limousine, which is the last known location of Emmett Otterton. Um, this scene, for me, is one of the best examples of symbolic interactionist, uh, or one of the best uh, sites where we can look at symbolic interactionism uh, to get, once they get into the limo, um, they find CDs of what they call the Rat Pack, right? Uh, and this would be the Rat Pack in American culture, it would be like the Frank Sinatra's. Uh, very much associated with like old school mafiosos. <clears throat> and he really notices something is wrong when he sees the monogrammed cocktail glass in the limousine, uh, Mr. B, or I think it was just a B, which stands for Mr. Big. Now, this is a symbol that is only legible in the context of the film. And one of the first times I showed this movie in class, uh, one of my students is like this, you know, I was like, well, how can we analyze it through the lens of symbolic interactionism? And she was like the way Nick Wilde recognized the monogram. And, and she was right. It's a perfect example. But he's like the monogram glass, the polar bear fur, the rat pat music, right? All of this points to this being a mob owned vehicle. And of course, he is right. So this is a great scene to think about using symbolic interactionism to analyze the world of the film. Of course, the shrew, the mafia shrew is ethnically Italian, stereotyped specifically invoking Marlon Brando's uh, godfather uh, character. <clears throat> they move back to the case, right? Uh, they have figured out that Emmett Otterton was the one who went savage, and now they want to talk to the driver of the limousine. And so they go over to Rainforest Town, and it's really, and, and this is where the, the, the panther is nice and he's like, come on in. And then he becomes savage and chases after him. And they have that big chase scene. 
and Chief Bogo shows up right after they almost lose their lives and was like, I think you're just crazy because the, the panther was gone. And Nick Wilde steps up for Judy Hopps and was like, you know what, we're about to crack this case and you need to let her do her job. And we've got 10 hours. And so see him. And this leads to a pivotal scene in the movie. This is when Nick Wilde opens up to Judy Hopps, right? They've been quite critical of each other uh, up to this point. But this is when Nick Wilde tells Judy Hopps, don't let them see that they get to you. And he tells his story about when he wanted to be in the junior scout troop or like a boy scout troop or whatever. And it was for prey animals only. And they got him in there and they ended up muzzling him and beating him and harassing him and abusing him. And all he wanted to do was be part of this group, was be one of these junior scouts. And all they saw was another sly fox who would go after them, who would double cross them. This to me is a picture perfect example of double consciousness in the context of the film. This whole time, of course, they're following this trail of evidence and they end up at this secret facility guarded by wolves. And it's also another favorite scene of mine. Gary, be quiet. You're going to start a howl. Um, the mayor is there and he's doing very shady things and they find all the missing mammals who are all predators and they think the mayor is behind it somehow. They, of course, hear him, overhear him talking about having to keep this under wraps. And then the phone goes off and they have to escape through what seems to be the world's biggest toilet. How does a fox fit through a toilet? I'm not sure. But they made it through and goes directly to Chief Bogo. They think they've cracked the case. And then we have this famous press conference where they, uh, her, Judy Hopps and Nick are very pleased with themselves. Judy gives Nick an application for to be her partner at the police station. And then Judy faithfully takes the stage. And this is really the big conflict in the film where reporters are asking her what's going on. What is the nature of all of these missing mammals? Well, they're all predators and they've all gone savage. And that's the only pattern that we've seen. And then someone asked her why. And then she's like, well, we think it's because of something in the DNA that makes them go savage. And this is a direct reference to social Darwinism, this notion that some human groups are more biologically superior to other human groups that have um, superior DNA, where lesser groups have defective DNA that, that lend them to habits of violence or savagery. For example, this was thought to be the case when it came to indigenous peoples or black peoples a hundred years ago. Also, and this is a word that I've watched this movie a bunch of time, but then they're like, should, should predator animals now be quarantined? And, you know, just thinking about that, that word is going around right now. Um, one of the big issues with this notion, uh, with COVID is, is do, do we forcefully separate groups of people? If, if the disease is still spreading, still spreading, this is one way to demonize groups of people, circle the wagons, protect the border, right? This, this feeds deeply into current modes of racialized discourse in the United States. Judy Hopps' comments set off 
uh, an attitude of fear in the city. We have mistrust and distrust spreading throughout the city. Protests. Judy Hopps is lauded by Mayor Bellwether and wants to be the face of the pol uh, the police wants her to be the face of the police force, but she knows, Judy Hopps, that she's made a big mistake, quits the force, and goes home. She ends up cracking the case for good, thanks to her old nemesis, Gideon Gray, and that's another one of my favorite moments in the movie, when Gideon's like, well, I just had a lot of unchecked rage and aggression, and I took it out, and violent ways, I was a jerk. And I thought that was a really funny scene, and of course, we just call them not howlers. Uh, the meek sheep turns out to be the villainous mastermind and the climactic scene. Once again, thinking about team performances, there was at one point where Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde had a second or two backstage to formulate this plan where Judy Hopps would fake or Nick Wilde would fake going savage in order to catch Mayor Bellwether or get a confession out of Mayor Bellwether. So that is my sort of analytic summary of the film. I covered a lot of different sociological concepts um, throughout. Uh, please let me know if you have any questions about any of this. Uh, please discuss this amongst yourselves in the Top Hat discussion, which I'm going to be starting soon. I'm going to end tonight's podcast with just a quick uh, summary of how the different theories we've covered in this class may be used to analyze the film. So I'll start that sort of theoretical review with structural functionalism. Uh, this, this paradigm, if we apply it to the film, really allows us to understand how this society is organized. It is a capitalistic society. It is a modern society. It is modeled very much after our own. Uh, also, what is the shape of deviance and norms and how are deviants how are our dynamics of, of norm, normality and, and deviance uh, organized in the film as well? This is something that structural functionalism can help us with. Part of the villain's plot, for example, is to portray all predators as violent deviants, as threats to the social order when that is clearly not the case. But this is part of the plot. So this notion of deviance becomes, uh, and this is, this is uh, something that structural functionalism can help us understand this is where the notion of deviance becomes a central concern throughout the course of the movie. Moving on to Karl Marx and class conflict, this is probably the hardest one to decipher, but we can still think about economic class inequality a little bit. Uh, do we have any poor characters in the film? We're led to believe that Nick Wilde doesn't come from uh, a very uh, high socioeconomic class. Duke Weaselton is another character. These are both smaller uh, uh, predators who are known for being more sneaky a little bit. And, and this translates to more dishonest. Um, but Duke Weaselton is like, they, they offer me something I could not refuse, money. Um, always trying to make a buck, but we really don't get a sense of what poverty is like in the context of the film. We do have two classed groups, though. Uh, we do have two classes, but not socioeconomic classes, I would argue. And this is the, the prey versus predator distinction. But once again, I don't think that we should think of these classed groups as being about economic class position. I think race conflict is probably a more accurate perspective to take when thinking about the prey predator distinction and also 
when we think about the different species that make up these two groups, this is where ethnicity would play a role. And so what's the difference between race and ethnicity? Um, I've kind of talked about it a little bit. Here's one example from the human world. Um, if we think about two actresses, uh, let's think about Rosario Dawson and Cameron Diaz. Both of these actresses are Cuban American, meaning they are ethnically Cuban or in a broader category, ethnically Hispanic, but Rosario Dawson is black, racially speaking, and Cameron Diaz, racially speaking, is white. And so there is overlap between these categories in many ways. Speaking of race conflict theory and how it uh, and how this film ties into racial inequality in American society, the plot is very much connected to and can be considered an allegory for the war on drugs in the United States and how drug use, specifically, I would imagine crack, was used to criminalize the African-American population in the 1980s. Uh, we see this with Nick Wilde and his notion of double consciousness. The film is sneaky, however, because it doesn't always match up. For example, Judy Hopps, a prey animal, is also discriminated against because of her identity. And, and predator animals seem to or are portrayed as having relatively more power than prey animals in the context of the film. Um, so prey animals are can experience discrimination, even though predators end up being the ones who are discriminated against and really the ones who, who uh, are harmed the most throughout this film. Just a question, like, if prey animals and predator animals get along so well, then what exactly do the lions and tigers and bears eat in Zootopia anyway? And I wrote tofu question mark here in my notes. Uh, we could talk a little bit about which animals are included here and which ones aren't. These are mostly wild animals. Some domesticated species like sheep and pigs uh, are in the film, but we don't see horses. We don't see cats or dogs, for example. We don't see birds. We don't see any reptiles or amphibians, and we don't see any fish. So it is a small subset of larger mammals that, uh, for the most part, that are featured in this film. This brings us to this notion of symbolic interactionism. How do we know that Zootopia is modeled after our own world? Because the world of Zootopia produces a world of symbols that we can relate to. Even though it's animals, they're doing human things. And so we know that Zootopia is modeled after our world through the world of symbols that the film produces. Once again, the limo scene is a great example of this in the film. Thinking about gender conflict now, how is gender constructed in the film? Well, I think this works on different levels. Judy Hopps is a girl bunny, for example, but rabbits themselves, even presumably male ones, are also gendered as feminine at one point in the movie nick wilde goes oh you bunnies are so emotional not oh you girl bunnies are so emotional oh all of you bunnies are so emotional this still seems to be a patriarchal society as well finally moving to black feminism i think you know our hero here judy hopps is a great place to start analyzing the film through this notion of black feminism um, especially this notion of intersectional forms of oppression in the world of Zootopia. 
what are the different ways that Judy Hopps experiences discrimination? She experiences discrimination because of her geography. She's from a rural area. She experiences discrimination because of what she eats. She's a prey creature, meaning she's an herbivore, right? All the prey animals in the film are herbivores, meaning they pretty much only eat plants. So because of her consumptive identity is what I'm calling that, because of her species, rabbits, and because of her species size, right? Rabbits are emotional. They're also small, right? Which means they are gendered as feminine in the movie. So it's not just that rabbits are discriminated against. It's that smaller animals in general seem to be discriminated against. And also her gender, right? Females seem to be discriminated against in the world of Zootopia. And all of these can sort of overlap at once in the context of the film. So that is my theoretical review. I'm going to wrap up this week's podcast. Remember the quiz. It will be 10 questions. 10 questions will be based almost ex uh, exclusively, not almost exclusively, will be based exclusively on this podcast and on the weekly announcement that I will send out for this class this week. The quiz will focus on linking the film to theories and concepts that we've covered in the course, which is what I've done throughout the length of this podcast. I'm starting to get hoarse and I don't have water around me, so I will say good night. I will, uh, you will hear from me soon through an announcement, and I will also set up a discussion on Top Hat so you can start talking about this. I hope you have a great rest of your evening and take care.